Did you get my message about a pitch pong versus military? Uh, a pitch pong versus military. <laughs> a pitch pong versus seven cool, James. We're seven cool, yeah. We're seven cool. The big show. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to this episode of Silence during the movie. Uh, the show where two jackoffs uh, quietly contemplate new movies and uh, movie news. And uh, I'm Mike. And I'm James. Shh. Oh, fuck. Sorry. Shh. I'm so sorry. Shh. I, I'm going to I'm going to flip you upside down and put your head into a ditch and cut a gash at the side of your head and let the blood drip one drop at a time. Sounds like doesn't sound like you want me to be very quiet. <laughs> and this episode is titled "The People versus Mike and James." I like the idea that there's like, you know, a, like we're on trial <laughs> for murder. I'm I'm clearly on trial for torturing and uh, religiously persecuting you. <laughs> we're tying this in. <laughs> uh huh. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> Really, I mean, OJ and silence, it's the two peas, two peas in a pod, really. <laughs> um. uh, no, you just reminded me, though, that uh, no matter what role Liam Neeson is in, he's always Irish. Uh-huh. Always. Every time. Look, look, it's even <laughs> the most egregious one possibly being Oscar Schindler. <laughs> I'm, I mean, the thing is, if he wasn't... I think it would probably be more jarring, but uh, yeah, I mean, he is—he uh, is supposed to be a German schmoozing it up with the, uh, the high ranks of the SS, and he is—he is very Irish. Man, oh yeah, that is like a probably—I don't even know why I'm talking about this movie. Allied? Did you did you see the trailers for that movie? I'm sure you it, did. Is that the Zemeckis film? Yeah, that God, you just reminded me that it's a Zemeckis film. I <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Brad Pitt is supposed to be it will supposed to be uh, he Canadian, <laughs> and um, oh yeah, again, <laughs> and well, and but he's also is overseas under the guy in, in disguise as a Frenchman, and while he is speaking the French language, no one, including and especially his French co-star Marion Cotillard would ever in a million years believe he's a native French speaker. <laughs> like, he doesn't... It's clearly just a, an American-Canadian accent of please French. Tell me, please tell me he, like, just goes like, uh, Mercy! <laughs> mercy! Mercy! Arrivederci! Arrivederci! <laughs> I feel like I only enjoy Brad Pitt trying to extend that uh, trying to uh, exhibit that much range when it's being done sarcastically or as a joke bonjourno bonjourno <laughs> yeah uh, well i mean it, it was kind of it was kind of funny they actually did mention it in the movie i think marion cotillard was like yeah your your accent isn't isn't very good but i guess they kind of like spoke it off just by saying like okay well if you say you're i mean it's kind of the same thing that they did with michael fosbender you know it's like oh i'm from a weird village in germany where they all talk like this or something okay all right 
uh, I guess. I, I haven't seen it, so I, I can't judge for myself how bad it was. But A, I take your word for it. And B, with Michael Fosbender, he's just better at portraying that kind of I know, cool it's confidence. Cool. And, and so I could believe that, it, you know, obviously it's still going to stand out to a natural speaker, but that it's more believable. Well, and it's, it's obviously more believable, too, because Michael Fosbender actually is German. And he is actually German, yeah. Who did grow up in Britain? You know, it's he, German moved to. I believe he spent most of his. Uh, he's Irish. Yeah, for most yeah, of his life, but, I mean, but he grew up and he was born in Germany. He spent some years there. Yeah, yeah. It's familiar um, enough with the language to know what sounds like the language and, and what also, doesn't. You know. And also, I'm sorry, but it's a difference between Brad Pitt and Michael Fassbender. I'm sorry. It's you know. <laughs> it's Brad Pitt. He's no. no. <laughs> Tyler Durden, man. Um, so, so we were reviewing Silence, which we talked about, and uh, OJ Made in America, which was a surprise to me. I expected to come to to here today to review American Honey, but it turns out that instead of watching American Honey over the past like twenty four hours, I suppose, uh, Mike huh. decided to to watch all of OJ Made in America. Yeah, so I was watching American Honey, and uh, it was through about half of it, and then I was texting you about something, and I don't remember what. I don't even think you necessarily even mentioned the film. Uh, something jogged my memory about OJ Made in America, and I, it's been one of my just, you know, must-watch films of, uh, uh, you know, that I wanted to make sure to get out of the way, but I also knew it was an eight-hour documentary, yeah, <laughs> it was gonna be really hard to get out of the way. So, and then I noticed that it was on Hulu, all three parts. Well, it's I think it's eight parts, right? But it's uh, oh, it, I, it, I watched it in five parts on on demand. So maybe it's five parts, but it's um, it, it's divided into three videos on Hulu. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, uh, I'm just gonna start watching it, and uh, you know, it'll be like a new uh, little TV series, and I'll probably get done about the uh, same time it took me to watch Stranger Things, and I just. I, I turned it on expecting to struggle with it because it's an ESPN documentary and it's about a football player. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, for the life of me, could not stop watching it. And I had to start working and I still kept it on and I kept watching it. And I didn't get any work done. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, so in case you're in case you're wondering, you know, Mike, I'm pretty sure hated the documentary and just hated it. Uh, yeah, it's really bad. Uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, stupid, uh, sensational garbage, and uh, that's and why I could I, not stop watching. <laughs> and I could not stop. No, it was uh, what the fuck? How 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 do they make a documentary about a uh, you know the most you know, lurid, scandalous crime of the century into one of the defining pieces of American art about race. Right? <laughs> what the fuck? I, this, it's, it's the first, like, crime I, documentary I've seen. We're, we're prematurely getting a review, but that's fine. We um, are. Give a shit. I don't care. It's, it's, <laughs> it's the first, like, documentary about a salacious crime that is... A documentary film or series that was actually made into successfully, I mind you, more than just the crime itself. Oh my god! More. 
the, the crime itself takes up so I mean not little it's a it's a chunk it's well a you good, don't even really get into it in like episode three no, or something like yeah you it's it takes a a long time because Made in America is the thing is OJ is not the key in the title it is the Made in America part because <laughs> this film wants to make sure that you understand exactly what black people throughout the country and specifically in Los Angeles were going through in terms of their relationship with the police and and with the government at the time that this OJ trial was taking place and what OJ meant or didn't mean to this community and uh, why the court case was so important, not just in terms of making big headlines and selling a lot of newspapers, but in defining uh, how black people saw themselves represented in this country. <laughs> For better or worse, because I think the documentary makes it very clear that OJ <laughs> went to great lengths to distance himself very much from <laughs> the black community and from civil rights uh, activism as a whole. And that is a great platform uh, for our review. So uh, yes. if you are, if you see our timestamps already and are like, I'm going to jump straight to that, please do. It's probably going to be great. I'm really excited to talk about it. I'm glad... Uh, you got to see it. I am too. I am too. Um, uh, so first, though, we're gonna do a little shameless. We haven't recorded in a while. Oh yeah, James. I was going to ask you uh, what your what your New Year's. Uh, do you have any New Year's resolutions? Oh, do I have any New Year's resolutions? Um, yeah. Uh, nah. <laughs> okay, because I got one. Uh, it's to record every week. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, we haven't recorded in three weeks. Yeah, it's been a while. And so our, general, our general schedule over the past, like, three months has been a, pretty much a semi-monthly podcast rather than a weekly. I guess know? so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've already broken my, my resolution. But uh, that doesn't mean we will not do the best we can. Um, Starting now <laughs> now it doesn't count before now yeah yeah this is the first time congregating in the new year um and yeah the last one we talked about was la la land which uh uh recently swept up big time at the golden globes uh, i believe a record-breaking seven award wins yeah yeah record-breaking uh, mm -hmm. which oh was that were you uh, did i detect a hint of Oh no no! Okay okay. okay Record breaking. I, 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 mm hmm. Yeah, that's. I was like, it, what it did. Mm hmm. Okay. <laughs> Am I missing something? Did no I get no. It? It's I, expect, I, I was just confirming just to make sure because you you didn't sound as sure. Great great okay. Um mm, okay so uh yeah it's swept up and uh you know I feel like that may be. A uh, uh, port, uh, you know, uh, an indicator of things to come in the Academy Awards ceremony. And we're not even gonna have to wait that long to find out. Those happen on Tuesday. We're recording right now on Thursday. I'm probably gonna bust ass to have this posted tomorrow. Nations come out on, on... right? It's the... yeah, the nominations. Yeah, yeah sorry, sorry, I, I'm sorry if I didn't make that clear. Yeah, the nominations for the Academy Awards yeah. happen on Tuesday yeah. at five fifteen in the fucking morning. Uh huh. So. <laughs> So I'm not gonna wake up early for those. So I'm I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, arising that morning, looking at my phone, seeing a couple Trump tweets, and then seeing James 
angry at Lawrence <laughs> Foster Jenkins. Foster Jenkins. <laughs> getting more nominations in <laughs> film in the Academy Award history. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah, and by the, that that to me is like the biggest bunch of bullshit from the, the we didn't plan to talk about this at all. Biggest bunch of bullshit from from Meryl Streep's like sanctimonious uh, Golden Globe speech. It's just like yeah, fine, all that about like talking about the little guy and anti-Trump or whatever. Explain to me, fucking Florence Foster Jenkins. You just stood up there and talked about how a rich white woman is the most important thing in starving artist history. Fuck you. They gave her. They gave her a lifetime achievement award because even the Holly, even the Golden Globes couldn't uh, bear to award Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins. <laughs> so we can't do it. We can't do it. It's Can the, the Academy stoop that low? We will find out. <laughs> um, Tune in next week. But this is relevant because. You know, we've been – well, so we've been talking about the Oscars and Oscar bait and uh, this notion of biopics and, and uh, our, our idea of what constitutes a film that is groomed to win Oscars. <laughs> uh, well, what what's the makeup of that really? And you actually, James, so, so we're going to shamelessly plug this here because uh, you ah, – you deserve it. Uh, James wrote a pretty fantastic piece uh, on his uh, blog on Medium, uh, which we may or may not uh, be looking into for the future. Anyway, um, I, I don't know if you want to leave that in, just a bit of transparency. No, that's fine. Anyway, um, basically, James has been going through uh, the history of the Academy Awards and looking at the uh, basically how often the uh, award for best actor goes to uh, someone uh, playing a biopic role. and uh, Both winning found, and being nominated. And both winning and nominated. And uh, you found pretty a pretty staggering trend uh, <laughs> towards uh, you know a, a trend of biopics being way more prominent recently. Do you want to talk about yeah, and we we had talked about this a couple times. I think I talked about it. I wanted to do it, and then I gave like a little update. But I know you're like finally finished in like this huge binge that I just could not stop myself. And uh-huh. and yeah, so I finished it all. I made it with beautiful graphs made from uh, Microsoft Excel. You know, uh, top quality graphics design stuff. <laughs> oh yes, very fancy. Um, I will say it. It looks. It looks really professional, actually. Right? Well, uh, I do appreciate that. At the very least, yeah. the graphs that I have on here, they do. You have an immediate, <laughs> immediate reaction. You immediately understand the trend of what's going on. So, um, yeah, I mean, 432 best actor nominees throughout the history. Uh, 105 of them have been for biopic roles. So immediately, that's like one in four right there. Um, but 42 of those 105 came in the last 20 years. So. This is a very, very recent trend, at least historically speaking, in the mm-hmm. grand scheme of things. And in the last fifteen years, uh, ten have ten have ten of those biopics for best actor have won the award. I mean, and, and of course, I've said this a thousand times. That includes four in the last five years. I mean, these things are just growing uncontrollably and taking up a larger and larger share. And you can, I'll probably link to it, but you can look at it for yourself. This is 
these kind of things are, are unprecedented in the best actor category throughout the through, throughout the uh, Academy Awards. I mean, in the the first through the third, sorry, the first through the eighth uh, Academy Awards saw five total biopics nominated. So that's eight Academy Awards saw five. In the 84th to the 88th Academy Awards, that's the last last five years, 14. Mm-hmm. That's that's almost three times where we originally were in in three years less. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's and- it's just nuts. I mean, the 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 line is just a sh- a straight like 45 degree angle of just up and up and up, and to a point when it's it's exploded. Yeah, and. Uh- See, it's just so the, – the frustrating thing is it's so uh, – I feel like unless you have a very you know, deep and nuanced understanding of the workings of the Academy and the awards and the campaigning dollars and, and whatnot, it's really hard to determine what specifically brought on such a huge what shift. What caused this, yeah. It's, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that – you know. There's some way that we can look into it, but it's, or, or, or you know, you. But I, 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 honestly, I'm kind of interested in getting in on the uh, research aspect of this. If, if I would you love wanna, it, I would love you, if, that. <laughs> yeah, took a if, long if, time. if you're looking to expand it out, yeah, totally. And um, because yeah, this can't be a coincidence. Is it that Academy? Is it the pool of voters? Are they just more uh, homogenous in terms of their taste? Well, is I mean it, the. the yeah, I mean, the thing, they've always been industry people, and you know, sure. the argument about biopics is, of course, like actors. They uh, actors vote for these awards, so they want to see, you know, an actor go through a lot. And normally, biopics, you know, come with some element of transformation. I have to look like this person in history. I have to talk like this person in history. I have to take on their mannerisms. You know, act like them. Um, so then, actors can appreciate. But but if that, I mean, that theory isn't satisfying to me because. Actors have always been part of the academy, as, for, as to my understanding. Right. You know, they've always had a, a, a say. They've always had a vote. So, if that was the case, I mean, what I'm looking for and what I haven't found is a catalyst. You know, like one mm-hmm. one role that's like yeah. that that changed everything right there. That was the movie that made everyone really want to make a biopic. But it's just it. It's from what I can tell, it's just not there. I wish I wish I could see it, and maybe if I was an industry insider, I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's the one. But it's just not. I mean, there's in in so many other things you can look at, like you can look at, like Gravity, you know, like sort of like kicking down the door for mm-hmm. for sci-fi films, for sci-fi blockbusters. <laughs> do, you, do you think we'd have Passengers this year if it wasn't for Gravity? No, God, no. Come on. <laughs> And, you know, I mean, so, like, what kicked down the door for biopics? And I don't know. I, I you know, we talked about it in the, in the pre-show. I think it's just, like, they sort of figured it out eventually. You know, maybe this is something that people have always liked, but now more of them are being made, and so there's more opportunity. I don't know. I mean... Like, were there maybe huge revolutions in the focus group industry? And, like, they... I don't know. Like, they just super focus group these things to determine what it... Like, to... I don't know enhance what's going to definitely win academy awards like it's just i mean that's the thing and that's one of the points i made one of the points i make in the article is that the the, this stuff matters like actors know about this especially you know there was a story that broke earlier about how like tom hardy and leonardo dicaprio they like exchange bets as to whether or not they would be nominated they know that these these 
uh, biopic roles are under the microscope of the Academy, then, you know, they're like, okay, I want to be nominated for this role. And more than that, I mean, you can just look at industry trends. Like, I don't have the numbers to back it up, but I've seen a lot of movies and I'm noticing you know that a lot of them are biopics you know the the when the ones that get nominated hardly are, are like the tip of the iceberg you know uh <laughs> last year you had tons of pretend oscar pretenders uh that were that were biopics just like please give me an oscar you have like uh black mass uh, the walk or two i mentioned <laughs> but you also had like concussion you know with will, with will smith playing the uh doctor who discovered uh cte the concussion uh, right brain syndrome right um you know so and and, i mean you can you can look everywhere the the biopics that didn't win or didn't get nominated are vastly outnumbering now the the biopics that are but even the biopics that are getting nominated they're they're like the only game in town uh i do want to say though that i i note in the article and i think it's important to that we'll find out more on tuesday but 2016 actually could be a a step back for for biopics in the best actor category because the mm-hmm. the main contenders you got Casey Affleck, Denzel Washington, uh, Ryan Gosling in La La Land. You know, they're these aren't biopics. I mean, Casey Affleck in my mind is going to walk away with the best actor role, so I think we could check a winner off the list. I, I, I think, I it's think deser- I think deservedly so. Yeah. Yeah, I think deservedly so. He's best. <sighs> Uh, male performance in a leading role uh, that I've seen this year, and I have seen uh, some movies. And uh, I, you've uh, what was that number again? Uh, it's it's 129. <laughs> but, but who's counting? But who's counting except for me, who except keeps me, both yes. a physical list on paper for sentimentality <laughs> and a letterbox profile that I religiously upgrade. Uh, I was kind of. I don't ex- think this is a big deal. You I know? was kind of expecting you to give like a, a, a rant. Uh, What's his name? Rand, uh, from the uh, the interview, uh, Randall Par- Randall Park uh, answers. Oh. Like, not to me. <laughs> not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, God. Also, when you were describing the you know where this uh, all this research could end up going, I just kind of got this flash of us turning basically just turning into spotlight, trying to shed <laughs> trying to shed light on like Harvey Weinstein sleeping with all the historical figures. <laughs> Oh, well, and I mean, this one, too, this really ties into to a lot of the controversy. And this would be another piece entirely, I suppose. Um, But this easily ties in with like Oscar so white. I mean, it does. And actually, this is I I did want to bring this up to I'll let you go first. But I was just going to say that these biopics being made about prominent historical figures historically a lot of most prominent figures i'll say are white are white dudes so mm-hmm. yeah you know, there are a lot of prominent figures in you know of, of different yeah I and mean, even those who were potentially to be nominated like david oyelowo in in uh, selma or any of the people any of the performances it's, in it's gotta be it's straight gotta out be, of compton you know it's gotta be like morgan freeman as nelson mandela someone overcoming you know uh, intolerance or mm-hmm. uh, you know civil rights abuses or something. But I mean, even David Oyelowo wasn't nominated. Some, but still. Some, oh God, I forgot. Um, but yeah, that you know, was that was actually really nuts. That was. Yeah, and honestly, I I you know I know you weren't the biggest Selma fan, but I think that that film's actually very valuable as a at the very least as a document. I think Ava DuVernay's like 
got a, with that and 13th, I think her, her primary role was documentation more than anything else. So, um, but that's another conversation. I, I, yeah. I will defend, I will defend that film uh, at another point in time, but, um, against your horrid attacks, James, you slam horrid attacks that you, I, I called it. And so something like an above average, but still like, uh, you know, typical, typical biopic movie. Um, I get what I get what you're saying, but I'm willing to stand up uh, for it. Well, and I also say that it most most certainly deserved a a best actor award. Uh, sure, sure. Best actor nomination, but of course that was 2014, the worst year the worst ever. Acting. I mean, fuck that even conforms to the Oscars normal criteria. Why the fuck would you not? I know. Well, there were also white biopic roles, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. And Eddie Redmayne. Uh, yeah. Basic cover batch. Yeah. He's got. He's got. He's playing a guy with a disability, and he's white. My God. Yeah. Um. I I, I do want to bring it back to Oscars so white and this year because. Um, like I'm, I'm, I'm honestly like on the edge of my seats, but to see what happens between Moonlight and La La Land, um, because I think that either way, well, basically if Moonlight, if Moonlight surprisingly wins, and I say surprisingly, cause I think Moon, uh, La La Land is still the, the favorite front runner. Team. Yeah, exactly. But I'm also just thinking about all the social pressures that are on the Academy this year. I, I mean, look, a moonlight is legitimately like, I, I think an already, like already considered a classic film. Like, like criterion a, is, is, it, is drawn up the cover art right now. They're, they are circling this thing. Like <laughs> they're, they're circling this thing, like vultures around. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's maybe a misguided metaphor. Cause it implies the movie's dead. It is no, they want their hands on it real bad yeah um they I, they have posted like five videos of barry jenkins already uh, I, it's nuts <laughs> it's, it's nuts what could um, it mean hey i don't know so like it is legitimately a, a work of art that will be you know it, it will live for generations it's 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 artistic merits are in no way in doubt and it almost seems like a godsend you know it's it's a one of the defining films about, you know, a, uh, you know, featuring an all African American cast and, uh, you know, basically about the quest that its main character has to assert its identity in an America that is insistent on, uh, making it on, uh, imposing its own, identity or it's it's preconceived notion of what his identity should be onto him and that's beautiful and it's explored in a way that i don't think i've ever seen in any other film before and you know so in in a vacuum there's no reason why this should not be the winner of the night the big winner get the most awards get best picture all the top all all the, all the top merits and um because you know it it if it does, no one's going to accuse it of just being an apology for Oscar So White last year. It, it's mm. a legitimate work of art. But at the same it's time... It's not a birth of a nation, you know? Exactly. But at the same time, it, it will also function as basically saying, look, we can reach out 
and award a film by an African-American filmmaker about African-Americans and reflecting their actual experience, not something like Django that, um, you know, it, it's this is real and it's uh, it, it's raw and genuine in a way that you don't normally see in films that win Oscars. And it's not it's not pandering to us as audience members. And it would you know, it would do a lot to heal the damage from Oscar So White. Mm. So there's a lot of social factors influencing them to go towards, uh, you know, to, to pick Moonlight. On the I mean, other of hand. course, of course. <laughs> On the other but hand. But maybe. But maybe, and I say maybe to mean probably. <laughs> I, I <laughs> will all of these pressures and the merits of the film in and of themselves, which I think uh, should be more, uh, more than enough to justify voting for it. Um, Will that be able to uh, turn the Academy's attention away from its absolutely favorite subject itself? <laughs> um, I, and and I think not. I don't think it will actually. I I, I want to be ambivalent about this, but I honestly think that. Well, yeah. I mean, we La La predicted as much when we reviewed when we reviewed La La Land, saying you know, we both said that- it's absolutely going to win Best Picture. <laughs> Yes, and the thing is, though, like, I am the one thing that's presenting any doubt in my mind at all is the fact that, I mean, this is going to be a very political Oscars, um, no matter what, because it's just a very political time in America right now. Uh, yeah, and I actually think that the that the uh, producer of the show has said, yeah, it's cool if you go political. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and, please. And, and you know they're going to. And, uh, you know, it's and, and Oscar's so white manifested before most of this happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, like, I don't know, but basically, it, like, I, I just feel like there will be so many compounding elements that would, you know, just make it the perfect time for a film like Moonlight to capture you know to capture the nation uh, so many people who had never heard of it before most of my family members never heard of it before if it wins the best picture they will at least know what that movie is and maybe they'll actually take the time to go see it at, at some point or to get it on vod or something um but at the same time la la land is just such a uh a, a, it checks all the boxes it's so perfect and i don't think the academy is going to be able to resist it. it's this beautiful shiny cake Mm. And and everyone loves cake. Mm. Cakes, mm. Ha- ca- cakes have layers. <laughs> ogres have uh, layers. <laughs> ogres are not like cakes. But ogres do have an Academy Award. Oh God! Oh no! It does. It was. <laughs> it was. It was Shrek. Shrek was oh. the first. Oh God! <laughs> it beat Jimmy Neutron. And uh, Monsters Inc. Jimmy Neutron. I love Jimmy. Neutron. I I watched that movie so much as a kid. I, I don't know. Um. Yeah. So. I don't know. I I am in suspense, but ultimately, in the back of my head, I know what's going to happen. But but man, will that just be the epitome of hypocrisy? Because you are going to have white celebrities on that stage all oh, yeah. night talking about how awful. Trump and racism are, and then you're going to 
and look, I I said La La Land might be the best time I had in the movies all year. I love the fucking thing. I I adore it. It's one of my favorite films of the year. It's, but there is it, inherent hypocrisy but, in what they're but going there to say. But there is inherent hypocrisy because I of all the things I can pray of all the praises I can heap on La La Land, uh, it being relevant to 2016 is not one of them <laughs> not at all not at all um that, I, mean, that, I mean one thing i like about the film is that it kind of just seems like it could almost fit in anywhere it doesn't really seem beholden to a particular time well, and, and i still think this is one of the best if not the best uh, you know follow your dreams stories i've it's, seen in a long time it, it, yeah it's one of them it's up there for me and um i it de- and i think it definitely subverted the life is so hard for us hollywood types narrative it, it did um while also not being too uh, abrasive to it where i put no, off no, it doesn't it's hate like it. it's like it's a perfect storm it's a it's literally a perfect storm um i love it your grandma loves it and uh, your racist uncle loves it <laughs> and the Academy loves it, and I think they're going to go with it. But, man, is it not the right time? Is it ever not the right time to go with that over over Moonlight? But I think they're going to. Um, and it's going to cause a huge explosion. Not literally, I hope. I just mean, like, figuratively. <laughs> really Whoa. <laughs> oh, God. If anything happens, I'm going to... Oh, God. I, very poor choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, very poor choice of words. words. Let her go. <laughs> no, I, I, people will get very mad, and uh, that's my official prediction. I think that this is all going to play out it's, like that. Uh, it's and, funny to me too because I, I'll need to think about it. But uh, seeing all these other other movies since them, I'm not even sure if either of those two are my pick for number one of the year so i'm sort of like yeah, yeah. i'm sort of gonna I'm, watch I'm like two, either. two films i'm not either but it's it may, one of them may very well be but yeah. at this point i'm not convinced especially having seen uh, some of the other films of this year Dude, that there, I'm there, very there's excited so about. there's so much i have you know i it's it's i i'm not saying even they should be but it's those are the ones that are getting the momentum the ones that are going to like they're going to be the main competitors i think at the awards mm-hmm. and i'm just and i'm basically just i just want to you know just to take this opportunity to predict you know the, the internet's my, going my, to explode my, my weather prediction is white with a chance of hypocrisy you know <laughs> um that's all i'm saying and the internet's gonna go nuts and uh, uh it's gonna be crazy and like i Honestly, we're not doing Oscar. Sorry, I had to blow my nose. Oh, that's fine. I mean, we're not doing Oscar predictions yet. But I mean, what I'm going to say this again when we do. Um, like, I I don't know which film I actually like. I love both films so much, and I'm not even putting one above the other at this point. But like, Moonlight should win. It's just the time for Moonlight to win. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> it's 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 the movie of 2016 more than anything else. It's it's going to live on longer. It's going to be more important historically, and it is the right movie to to, to win this year. It should win. Um, so, and I am also going to say it's not going to. <laughs> and so, anyway, um, and and well, reason- honestly, like, what better way to move in to OJ Made in America? I guess, I guess so. And the discussion to, of, of race relations and, and how I they guess, relate to cinema. That's true. And I guess to close out on this and, and even tie it back in a bit with your piece, you know, 
it is a bit disheartening because whether you look at the um whether you look at the box office returns or whether you look at now, you know now looking at the awards which are you know box office returns supposed to you know denote what's you know the most successful financially oscars are supposed to be kind of a barometer for artistic achievement and both of them seem to be homogenizing very much uh particularly in recent years um with the you know box office numbers it's more in regards to franchising so you have a lot of you know adaptations and sequels and prequels making the top 10 whereas these were not the big earners back in the day these weren't really considered what you put all your money behind and then flip side the academy is seems to be defining its winners within a more narrow uh within an increasingly narrow uh paradigm you know you can't there's not as much variety in what they're awarding so i i just you know and and you know going back to the golden globes and you know the controversy behind meryl streep's speech and you know me and you both kind of said it's it's not what she was saying that was rubbing us the wrong way it was the you know the kind of out of touch hollywood elite quality of her the words she chose specifically um i i do wonder if this is kind of denoting an underlying alienation between hollywood and I, we we all know about this there's a you know hollywood is not really has never really been in touch with middle working class people lower class people um but i just wonder if that's just becoming more and more solidified as time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll find out. I don't want to. I don't want to the conclusion. And, we will find well, I, out. We'll find out. But that's I might a, actually wake up at five fifteen next a Tuesday just it's to a find out. It's a rhetorical question, but it's also a rhetorical question that is at the heart of OJ, made in America, because Mike and I, Jay made no. Oh God, no, no. <laughs> because as I found out, OJ Simpson did a little bit more with his life than murder his ex-wife. A little bit. Uh, you know, it's funny, too, because um, I think both of us, but I, I won't, uh, well, both of us were actually, you know, born pretty much after this, uh, you know, at all. I was two when the trial was going on. Exactly. I think, yeah, I think you know, were as well. So you just didn't, you didn't really affect me very much. Like, and, well, and because of that, the only things I've ever, I had ever known about uh, O.J. Simpson and his and the trial was what I I learned through other media, you know, through TV shows, movies referencing it, things like mm-hmm. that. Where I, you know, and I knew, of course, the gloves don't fit. You must acquit. I knew, I knew that uh, he. So he was. I knew he was acquitted for murdering his wife. I knew he was later uh, charged for a different crime and sentenced to a pretty hefty prison sentence. And I knew he was a football player. I that's did, it. yeah, that's it. I also, um, I mean, I, I also knew that the joke was always that he clearly did it. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, right? I, oh, I also knew, I did know that there was a racial divide in who thought he did it and that most white people thought he did it and most black people thought he didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I did knew that. And yeah, big joke was a, like that, of course, he did it. <laughs> <laughs> Just based on all evidence presented. Yeah, duh. Um, and I, uh, I, I honestly thought that was it. To the, it, it's kind of like with Michael Jackson, where if you're if you weren't around to experience him when he was really big, then you just wonder why people keep talking about this creepy weirdo 
Yeah, right. <laughs> was convicted for. I mean, MJ was never convicted. No, convicted, but um, out of court settlements. Right, and and you just wonder why they keep getting brought up, um, and because of that, and even going into this documentary, you know, I knew a little bit more as an adult, but like not much, and I had no idea um, what the fuck would keep me engaged for eight hours of. <laughs> coverage of this of this court of this uh of this crime of the century and the thing is it it, that's a huge mischaracterization in and of itself of the documentary because oj made in america if anything uh i was gonna say is as much a documentary about race as it is about oj but i actually think it's much more about (laughs) about race and it contextualizes (laughs) the oj case within the uh, struggles between the black community in Los Angeles and the police. Oh, it's painstakingly just how, so. It's, it's oh, it's meticulous, and it does not. It leaves no stone unturned. It leaves no perspective undocumented, and it is one of the most. I mean, just I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but this seems like just one of the most integral pieces of of journalism that I've ever yes, seen. Yes, definitely. It's I mean, this- so holistic it's so complete well yeah this uh it's sort of like i I described it to you uh before before you had seen it as a a 13th mixed with making a murderer and it's Mm -hmm. amazing how apt that comparison is and i'm almost tempted to say as much as i really love 13th that this kind of dwarfs both of them um like it has the salacious appeal of of making a murderer while also go on Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Well, while, while also creating that historical significance that Thirteenth did, I will say this: it does both without retaining the biases of either. Mm. Because as much as I love Thirteenth, and still do, um, it is a film that very clearly has a. It's an editorial. It's an editorial, yes. It has its conclusion from the outset, and it spends the entirety of its runtime justifying it to you. And it does it well. And I agree with its conviction. It is – it it jives with me very much. But it – I don't know. OJ Made in America just has the sense of building not a narrative. It builds an entire social – it, it, an entire social structure that you get to understand from the perspective of all people involved, not not even just the police and the black people living in Los Angeles, but from the press's perspective, from OJ's perspective, from the people who knew OJ's perspective, looking at, at this community and also knowing OJ from uh, it's. Like, I didn't. I didn't understand why this was such a long documentary, and then when you watch it, you realize that anything. It's it's seven. Anything and a less half would hours. have been a disservice. It's seven and a half hours of essential coverage. Yes, um, there's not a second wasted. I told you this too over IM, um, and I know some of this is archived. What is this, 2004. What? I am. Did I? Oh God, you're right. Wow. It's like a. It, I forget what article it was that said that the uh, remember that movie the internship yeah yeah the intern 
the intern sorry that it's the uh that it was the best hit comedy of 2004 <laughs> <laughs> um anyway um but i told you over uh i messaged you and said that uh you know, I, at that point, I think I was only like a half hour in, and I said that at least like five different times I have heard quotes that I think any journalist would be lucky to get once in a lifetime. And I mean, some of it was from archive footage, but some of it looked to be from original interviews and just holy shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was stunned. I think one of my favorite bits, it's still actually just come very early in the documentary is when I believe they're interviewing one of OJ's former college coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, look, I please, I'm not going to get their names. I just, this, no, no, we're not going to no. Um, <laughs> That's out the window. It's, it's not going to happen, but uh, they're intercutting uh, between uh, footage of him answering a question about what the year 1968 meant to him. Uh-huh. Uh, and they're cutting between the assassination of Dr. King, uh, Bobby Kennedy, and all the turmoil that was going on in America, uh, socially and politically at the time. And this this coach is so sincerely saying that was – I'm also paraphrasing this, but he's just – that was OJ's year. That nothing else important happened that year. Uh-huh. It was all about OJ. OJ Simpson, yeah. It's like, like no- What? I just and I just could not believe what he he said with a completely sincere face, and, and you didn't even get it wasn't this sense that like oh he forgot like no 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 he knew everything that happened and this is all that mattered to him. Uh huh. And just, one oh. of the things that uh, the documentary then goes on to make the case is that that's all that mattered to OJ also, mm-hmm. like not just his coach like all that mattered to all that mattered to OJ was he, himself creating himself as a football player. Uh, an a racial a, tr- a transracial oh yeah football player uh, the the i mean i i don't think i had never heard this quote before the documentary i don't know if it was popular or not popular but like i don't know if he was known for having said it at all but it, the uh quote i'm not black i'm oj yeah right <laughs> he he this man did so much to distance himself from any semblance of civil rights activism or partisanship uh on behalf of the african-american community for fear of alienating the i mean he was they, they say it multiple he was at his heart a businessman he was a corporatist he wanted to ingrain himself in this culture um he wanted people to and, and honestly though it's not as though um i mean you definitely get the you know the negative uh side of that but it's it's amazing how sympathetically tragic they portray oj as a character as like it actually this is a weird okay the last movie i would expect to think of during this documentary is citizen kane but honestly the no seriously though the character of oj simpson reminded me so much of charles foster kane in terms of just wanting so badly love and uh and uh affirmation from everybody just Mm -hmm. From, and, and it's it's funny because in and of itself it's a, it's a contradiction because you want this very personal relationship but you want it with a vague mass you don't want it with like an individual you just want the general renown you want you know this approval this general approval and uh, and then somehow this because of this case he becomes anyway this figurehead for uh you know for the the black community and for the way that the justice system treats 
African Americans. Yeah, um, no, and everyone. This man who spent his entire career distancing himself from that. Well, and it's amazing to me the way OJ made in America. How many different competing groups it was able to effectively call out yes. without passing judgment on any of them. Yes. Not a single one. It calls out uh, the LAPD for their hor- for creating this horrible relationship with the black community over a period of you know decades, several mm-hmm. decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, it calls out the it calls out OJ Simpson, of course, for for not being in tune with any of the racial issues that was going on in time at the time. It calls out the black community for how they responded to OJ Simpson, someone who had made it his goal to not be part of the black community. He had nothing to do with them. Proudly had nothing to do with Proudly, them. Proudly, yes. He pr- it calls out the prosecution for for bungling what oh, should have yeah. been a slam dunk of yeah, a murder the, conviction. The the gloves were their fault. <laughs> that was their fault. The, the whole reason know, the glove don't I fit. I didn't know that. That like. The whole the whole reason the glove don't fit it must acquit is the fault of the prosecution. <laughs> you know, maybe it was over it was one person on the prosecution over the other, but I mean, come on, you succeed together, you fail together, and fuck, you failed. And I loved all the people who watched it at even at the time, the jury members, the other uh, people in the court, and they were interviewing them. Even even twenty years later, they're just like stunned. They're just like, I could not fucking believe what like, they, that was the stupidest they, thing the prosecution they are, did. They are butchering this. <laughs> I am giving this to you, lady. I, I, my opponent is belligerent, and you should not believe anything he says. <laughs> I'm butchering that quote too. I'm I'm tired, and it's been a long time since I. My watched opponent it. is a liar, and he there cannot be go. trusted. Yeah. There you go. Um, man, I uh, uh, you know it's sad. I'm probably gonna watch it again. Right. Uh, it's. It's it's, up okay, honestly, it's maybe the most perfect movie I've seen this year because it is so unbelievably entertaining. It is not, but but not lurid. It is so multifaceted and complex and meaningful without being so obtuse or like or it not mean you know because you do that and you run the risk of it not meaning anything or having any semblance of a of cohesion or any sort of unified um message of the film kind of get lost and it it doesn't at all no 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 no. i think if i had to describe it i think the film oj made in america was made to answer one simple question, which was how did this happen? You know, yeah. not yeah. not not was it right? Not did he do it? Did he not? Although, Just how you know, how how did this come but, about? But also though, what did it mean? Yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't. Because that's the thing. I I really thought I was from the outset. I was like, how good could this fucking be? It's a procedural, right? It's, right. It's exactly. A, that's what I thought. I'm like, it's that's just exactly a what procedural I thought. On yeah. And then and if it wasn't just a procedural, okay, it's a biography and then a procedural. You know, it's going to go through his past, you know, through OJ's early career and how great he was, yada, yada, yada. Well, and I mean, then, and I even honestly, I even – I saw the I saw the, this documentary uh, about a different person. Well, in my mind, I saw what I thought was this documentary. It was a Netflix documentary, Amanda Knox, about Amanda oh, Knox. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I – it was it definitely entertained me. That movie left me like that, but it, it definitely entertained me while I was watching it. And it was just about 
this person who may or may not have committed this crime and you're getting you know this whole intimate look at the at the issue and how it, how it came about so i thought you know i had seen this now this is the the, the amanda knox about oj simpson just just ad lib it replace all the nouns exactly. you could do it ex- you could follow the formula to a t you know yeah 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 and then i of course that's the same question you know how do you drag this on over eight hours 467 minutes yeah i think that uh this is the the reason why i'm I, I mean a i really loved the film but also i just am so stunned that any of it worked let alone that i i would walk away as satisfied as i did um <laughs> i'm just yeah i don't i don't know how uh, I, I, honestly first i just kudos to espn for financing this right for, for for basically being like no, no no we're gonna give you all the time and money you need to make this really something definitive and it's it's gonna i would i'm I've seen a lot of good documentaries this year. This is definitely near the top of my list, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it take home the prize. Uh, like best film of the year, best documentary, best documentary. Oh, I think it's probably unless I'm like I haven't seen Tower, I haven't seen uh, uh, Nuts. There's there's or, or Wiener. There's a lot of sexually titled documentaries. <laughs> um, but I and Nuts Wiener. I'm missing, camera person you know that's uh, there's also wiener dog but that's not a documentary uh but still um <laughs> cam- camera person could be a sexual innuendo yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah um so there's a bunch i haven't seen this year but it is uh it's so funny because i i love 13 so much and i like uh, god how awful would it sound to myself a few months ago if I were to say that a fucking O.J. Simpson documentary, <laughs> right? Yeah, an O.J. Gonna, Simpson documentary. It's gonna take the cake over that, but uh, I don't think I could deny it because it, it it does what Thirteen did, um, but adds so many more layers to it. Yeah, I mean, in Thirteen, because Thirteen, Thirteen, I can. It, it's it's not. It's I would just, almost argue about Thirteen that it's a really about something different. Um, yeah, that it's not it's not merely it's, about race relations in the United States. It's very much about the U.S. prison system and is, and is, how yes. over a period of you know hundred years that was stacked against African Americans. It is, but it's also and 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 it's right, but but it's also like it's got a it's not as holistic. Even in analyzing that, it's not as holistic as. OJ Made in America is. It doesn't get every single side the way OJ Made in America is. And, and I don't mean to say that that would in any way dull the case in point it's trying to make. OJ is not a Made in America. I should say Made in America because that's really the relevant part of the title. Um, <laughs> made yeah. in America is not a bungled film. It's not unclear as to what it's trying to communicate. But I, I feel like through and through it does so fairly. Yeah, well, and I almost, I almost think that... As if it arrived at this conclusion purely through journalistic inquiry, mm-hmm. which is, I can't really say that about 13th, even though I agree with its assertions, I agree with its editorial, um, and I think the numbers back it up, uh, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't completely embrace that veil of ignorance the way that I feel OJ made America. No, I mean, does. in OJ, I think one of the one of the best things it does i keep i think i feel like i keep saying that but this is among them uh there's so many at, at the at the end it's it's almost it's almost brilliant it lets you again 
be the jury on everybody. You know, yeah, yeah <laughs> I, it's, I, it's it's doesn't tell you whether or not O.J. Simpson did it. It doesn't. Re- in my mind, it doesn't really have a firm opinion on that it doesn't it doesn't tell you if mark Furman is a racist asshole who planted a glove you know it doesn't tell you if the prosecution is was um it doesn't tell you if the defense inappropriately played the race card or if the prosecution was incompetent assholes who never could have pulled this off in the first place you know like these are decisions that you as the viewer have to make with the information given. This is as much just a long form piece of journalism as I've ever seen. And this happens to be in film form. It's so funny. Cause I could see throughout it. I could see the weaker. I could see all the weaker, smaller documentaries that could have been made with all of this footage. Yeah. Like, because there'd be a bit where like, I'm, I'm like fucking rooting for OJ, even though I saw all the shit. Like, I, I'm putting it out of my head right now because I see what this means to the African-American community. But then I'm forgetting all the shit that he, you know, how he abused his wife, clearly, the and, and exhibited so many horrible, uh, <laughs> violent tendencies. How... And and all of his shortcomings and the fact that he distanced himself from this community throughout his entire career. Um, and somehow that, you know, I forget about that for this one bit that just totally gets me on that side. And then it'll flip gears and you'll see things from, uh, you know, the uh, Nicole's parents' point of view. And right. you're heartbroken all over again. And then it's like, I don't know, it somehow gets you to empathize with every single person. And it's constantly like every time the film appears like it's going too simplistic or that it's it's limiting itself to one point of view, it'll shift gears right away. And and honestly, um, I know it's not going to get it or even a nomination, but I think that this needs to be talked about uh, uh, in, in regards to its editing I, I think it's one of the best edited films of the year, and it's certainly yeah. It's eight, and also, I mean, just the sheer volume of it. It's eight. It's seven and a half, eight hours of footage that you have to put together cohesively. You know, I actually um, remember being upset about OJ Made in America above thirteenth. I remember that very clearly on on uh-huh. on the Film Awards and nomination scorecard. It's like doubling it, and I remember looking at that earlier, and I was, you know, when I only seen thirteenth, and being like, oh. <sighs> This is bullshit, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I kind of want to go back and watch rewatch 13th in having seen this and right. kind of recontextualize it a bit. I feel like, it, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, uh, I still think 13th is incredibly important, but well, it, yeah, just, I mean, it, it just kind of, it just changes how I view it a bit. I still yeah. think it's, I still think everyone honestly needs to see 13th. Definitely. Um, it's like your duty as a democratic citizen. Absolutely. Um, but as a piece of documentary film, as a piece of journalism, Made in America is more valuable. Well, um, and I will say too that we described OJ Made in America as meticulous. Uh, well, you did, you did. I described it as sort of like painstaking. It, it takes nothing for granted. I feel like I did see something about like Rodney King or other similar events in, in 13th. Um, but those things, you know, I didn't have n- the appropriate context that OJ Made in America gave me. You know, it 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 uh, went into Rodney King pretty early, but it also showed you how we got to Rodney King. Oh yeah, um, I actually had to look up a lot about Rodney King before because not not before this specifically, but um, because uh, Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee is one of my favorite films of all time, <laughs> and that film came out in '89. And if you're watching that movie and don't know about Rodney King, you're going to be really lost. 
Yeah, I, well, and I also want to point out that I chuckled just there um, when you when you said when you talked about uh, do the right thing, and that's because I've recently seen Southside with you, um, which is the movie about Barack and Michelle Obama's first date. Well, Michelle Robinson, I suppose. Oh, at the time. oh that that's right. Where they went and saw. Where they went and saw uh, do, do the, the right thing, thing, and there's a really funny line movie? that that what. They made a movie about. I think. I, yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, they, Southside they, with you. Mm-hmm. Oh God, did they make a movie just about the date? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not about you know sitting down at the movie, but it's about their whole day, their whole first day together. It was actually you know uh, yeah. like okay. morning till night. So interesting. Okay. You know, all the events that happen. Um, okay. Yeah. No, and it was actually a pretty fine film, and he has a really uh, hilarious joke. <laughs> Or that he makes after seeing, um, after seeing do the right thing. So, who's the guy who throws the garbage right. can through the window? Mookie. Mookie. Yeah. So um, Barack Obama, he he's w- walking out with Michelle Obama, and they run into uh, their superior, you know, their white boss at, <laughs> at the, you know, after the showing too. And he he's talking to Barack Obama. He says like, Hey, can you? Can you explain that to me? You know, why would Mookie throw the garbage can through the window when he knew it would, you know, we, we had to know it would have incited a riot and, you know, destroyed the business and, and the, you know, their community, basically. And mm-hmm. and Obama's, like, placating him. Uh, and you kind of be- almost believe him. He's like, well, you know, you have to consider that uh, that Mookie would have known that the store had a, was insured. So, you know, they were... You know, they were able to express his frustrations and not have to actually deal with the uh, financial consequences. And mm-hmm. then after his boss leaves, he leads to Michelle and he's like, uh, yeah, I was just saying that to make him feel better. Mookie threw that garbage can because he was fucking angry. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this explains my chuckle. I'm not a racist. That's also <laughs> no, that's also uh, like not to turn this we're not going to talk about do the right thing but that's part of what makes the ending of that film so great is uh how it, it, basically the different reactions that people will have depending on what race they are and right. <laughs> what ju- like how they will try and justify mookie throwing uh some people will try and justify mookie throwing the can and then um other people will not understand why that needs justification in the first place <laughs> <laughs> like that is yeah it's uh or, yeah or no i, guess, I mean that was the thing guess, you're just like he was upset the, <laughs> that's right or, 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 or i guess why or i guess why the justification was in question i, I should say mm-hmm. uh, yeah it's uh oh man we gotta talk about it at some point because it's actually honestly probably a better time to rewatch it now than ever so yeah really um but uh, uh oj made in america will suffice for now uh jesus christ what the fuck <laughs> what the fuck i'm i'm sorry i'm just still yeah you're like how did we get here <laughs> it's not just that it was so good it's that like how did this this of all fucking things how did oh how did oj simpson's espn documentary turn into a the most comprehensive look at like Po like not even post civil rights because it does start in the sixties, um, mm-hmm. you know. So so civil rights era to modern day racial climate. Uh, how how does it the most holistic representation of that entire history that I have think I have ever seen in in one film? Well, and it's funny too because I I'd, I'd seen a, a thirty for thirty documentary earlier this year. 
uh, called Fantastic Lies. It's about uh-huh. it's on Netflix, and it's about the uh, Duke Lacrosse um, rape accusations that were later turned out to be uh, completely fabricated. Uh-huh. And um, when I watched it, I was like, man, 30 for 30. I didn't know they could be this good. I, well, that's the thing. I'm like, okay, I know that this is definitely, like, probably the most elaborate 30 for 30 documentary ever made, but, like... This this can't be like the only one that's worth a damn. Like no, I no, it's not. As a, I need to be paying. I need clearly need to be paying more attention to ESPN thirty for thirty. Yeah, it's it's certainly a step up. But it's yeah. I mean, but the others are really good. So that's nuts. But yeah, OJ. No, 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 no. Nuts is next week. Um, ah. <laughs> no. Um. But this one, I think, was definitely like meant to be special from the outset. It, it you know, it got extra funding. It went to. I think it premiered and it aired in sundance i believe mm-hmm. um and, and it's went, been in production for just so long for so long and, and it went to theaters for a few uh for a few days just for, to be for eligible. long enough to be eligible for the academy exactly <laughs> kind of shamelessly so but you know. <laughs> it's like exactly like they're like okay no <laughs> it's like this is what we think of your requirements mr mr academy man <laughs> I, I don't i i i understand it's stupid technicality man um and yeah, I mean, because and then people were like, you know, talking about how it, this straddles the line between a miniseries and a movie, and I'm like, I, come on, it's it's. I don't know. I mean, I've also I've also uh, often considered things like True Detective to be a movie, you know, yeah, rather like, than yeah, like first of all, why aren't miniseries just considered long movies? I think the one thing that keeps, particularly when they're all directed by the same, like directed and written by the same people, because I feel mm. like what keeps television from being regarded in purely theatrical circles is that it's you know it goes through so many different creative hands it's got so many different directors and writers each episode sort of has its own beginning and end yeah and you don't necessarily know where it's going in the end uh when you start the series so it's kind of a living piece of art i i get that but with stuff like this and yeah with true detective and and even like band of brothers another miniseries like those are long form movies. There's not really any point in distinguishing them. It's just long, so I don't really see any sort of value. I don't see any valid objection to, uh, you know, really talking about this in, as, as one of the great works of cinema this year. So. Um, yeah. No. I mean, it definitely. I mean, <sighs> it's going to be nominated. I have no doubts for best documentary. So. I mean, if it's not, I will throw a garbage can through a pizzeria window. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know the place has insurance, so it's it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Um, and that's that's, why, that's that. why, and that's why I'm throwing it. You know, it's uh, yeah. I suppose <laughs> we're moving on to talking about uh, well, not Shh. talking about anything. Shh. Fifteen minutes of silence will now ensue in place of our review. <laughs> okay. Okay. So Scorsese. Yeah, so so give me the whole, uh, like nerdy Scorsese loving setup. So I've only read silence? I've only read a long profile about Scorsese in this film on in the New York Times magazine. Uh, so I may not have all the details right, but basically, um, <laughs> when Scorsese was uh, uh, traveling, I think around the time that he made uh, his last controversial religious film the last temptation of christ uh which for the record is my favorite 
depiction of the Jesus story on film that I've ever seen. Um, which of course pissed uh, conservative Christians off to no end. Um, uh, anyway, while he was traveling around that time, he uh, read the novel Silence by I'm gonna. Oh my God, hold on. I don't want to cut this out, but uh, I I'd rather take the time to look this up to butcher the name uh, Shusaku Endo, which I still probably butchered, but at least I looked at the letters correctly. <laughs> they, came <laughs> the, they came in the right order. Um, and he became infatuated with this novel and basically has been fighting to get it made for 20 years. Really, actually, about 30 years by this point. Um, and uh, you know, it went through so many different stages and false starts and, you know, production hell is not really a term that applies to this because it was not really anything the studios were. I think he was shopping it around and kept trying to get it started. It was very much Scorsese's passion project. This wasn't something that the studio kept trying. You know, it, it, this is he had to keep fighting for it. And finally, all the pieces fell in fell in place and he was able to get the film made now, you know, in 2016. Um uh, you know, after, you know, it, it's so funny because it's, it's, this is a drastic shift from something like his last one was three years ago, Wolf of Wall Street, which was kind of a return to his, you know, the, the style he employed with films like Goodfellas and Casino and what kind of people knew him for best. And uh, one thing I, I love so much about Scorsese is that he kind of refuses to be pinned down easily as a, as a filmmaker. I think very similar themes concern him in all of his films, mm-hmm. but the way he the way they're represented in his filmography is so diverse. He's got a, an enormous artistic range. Um, so anyway, it, it, basically, I was so excited for this film because a this is one of like I mean up there with Last Temptation and uh, like Gangs in New York, one of the works that Scorsese felt most passionate about adapting. And you don't you don't hold on to a project for twenty five years uh, for anything other than like a complete spiritual commitment. Um, and when you're talking about one of our greatest film artists being that infatuated with a with a, a story i'm paying attention mm-hmm. um so yeah i've said for a while now this is my most into the film this year that i'm most anticipated for i felt that up until i sat down in the theater to watch it and i was uh, i was joining you in that i had it on my, of, of the list of movies i still need to see before i'm comfortable making my top 10 list silence was right at the top uh-huh. Um, and so, and I, I will say this, now having seen it, my biggest question is why the title is so reflective of everyone's reaction to this movie. <laughs> why no one's talking about it? No one's talking about it. Um, no one's talking I, about I, it. I, I, don't know, right. I don't know if that has to do with it's like bad distribution because i do know that like i mean it's been playing near me for a while but the show times have been very restricted and i have to go to very particular theaters in order to see it you have not been able to see it until today yeah yeah i just saw it uh, today this is the very first showing 
And uh, yeah, I even asked the uh, the guy at the box office when I was you know going in to watch it if you know he had seen it. He said no, and he actually commented, "I'm surprised at how few people have shown up for this." And I'm like, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah, no one's no one's coming. Huh. Not a lot of people are seeing it. This movie has been forgotten before it even was released." And I have to say, having seen it, I think that is an absolute tragedy because. I said that Silence could be one of I think it could be one of Scorsese's best. I think it is one of Scorsese's best films. Uh, now I now that I've seen it, uh, I think that I, I I don't know. People are not really seem to talk about it that much right now. It's got a place on critics' top ten, but it's not very high. Yeah, it's middling, um, and I mean it's the same it's middling. the same story with uh, film critics' top ten on on uh, Metacritic. It you know, did not. It's, it's, it, I, I looked at Sight and Sound's poll. I and mind you, this really could be affected by release dates because I don't think this has been released in the UK yet. I think yeah, like maybe the, we'll see it next year. Next, next, next year is possible. I would not count that out. But one person put it. One person voted for it. One vote. Um, wow. I think Silence is a masterpiece. I think it's one of the best works of religious art I've ever seen. Uh, I think it's uh, you. I, I think you can infer Scorsese's love and commitment to the complexities and uh, you know ambiguities of faith on display in this movie through and through. You can you know you can feel his own struggling with with the many questions the film raises about what true faith is, what true adherence to. Uh, righteousness is um and the fact that there aren't really any easy answers to these questions in certain scenarios um i also think it's just one of the most brutal tests of faith ever committed like i just i've never i've never seen a character's faith and industry tested the way that andrew garfield's is in this movie well and here's Um, here's the thing about that too is that uh, these are all this is the most thorough exploration of a theme that, for the most part, Martin Scorsese has only touched on um, throughout throughout mm-hmm. his entire filmography. Yeah. I mean, of course, you have the Last Temptation of Christ in there. That's a big, a big one. But, but um, the thing is this: the thing is this. Last Temptation is never about. Um, the thing is with Last Temptation, it's about emphasis. Have you seen it, by the way? No, no. Okay, so it's it, what it's really all about is emphasizing the humanity of Jesus. It's it shows basically Jesus as, you know, the, the the teaching in the Catholic Church is that Jesus Christ is, is all human and all divine. He is both entirely. And this reminded me of Hail Caesar's scene. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's yes. That basically, the last edition of Christ belongs in that conversation that the rabbis and priests and Sikhs are having. It's about the nature of the deity. It's about the nature of the deity. Um, And what Scorsese did, it's actually adapted from a novel, um, but what both the novelist and Scorsese wanted to do was create a piece of art that emphasizes the humanity of Jesus so that you understand basically the sacrifice, what was really That was basically my understanding of the movie, so I'm glad you had that confirmation. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And I think that's what makes it so powerful. Um, but also it, with that, like that film emphasizes the, the physical and mortal sacrifices. Uh, silence is about 
that, but also the possibility that it's all for naught and that no one, and that you are doing this for no, you are letting people be slaughtered, martyred, sacrificed, and no one is even there to hear your prayers for mercy and that your faith is doing nothing but harming people. Uh-huh. And... I'm really, by the way, in the theater, I really wanted someone to call bullshit on that. It's like, uh, see what you're doing to people? It's like, I'm not doing shit! It's them! <laughs> you're killing people, not me! <laughs> but it's, 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 not that he, it's not necessarily that he himself is doing it, but he knows that he has the power to stop it. So do and, they! And that, Anyways. Well, okay, yes, I, I understand. But at that point, it's the question for the righteous man is what is the righteous thing to do? I, I know, I understand. Um, you know, they, they are not approaching it from a... The, the, the Japanese uh, government is not approaching it from the position of righteousness. They're, they're doing it from the position of uh, maintaining a manageable population. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, I, I had a profoundly moving experience to this movie i was engrossed in it it i was often grossed out by it but <laughs> not, not, grossed that's the wrong word it was brutal it was you it, it was it was taxing both you know uh, on a uh you know just from what physically happens to the characters and what spiritually, spiritually. they go through and I, I identified so much with uh with that constant struggle of of doubt and faith and guilt and shame and you know very catholic feelings and i think scorsese <laughs> is the most fundamentally catholic filmmaker since robert brisson uh of course because i had to reference a frenchie oh, yeah i was just about to say did you just reference another fucking frenchie <laughs> i did i did yeah. um but uh and i talked about my cats recently cats Batman. oh yeah Batman. Foster Jenkins. Oh God! Every time you gotta do Florence Foster Jenkins and Spider Man every fucking episode. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I I I don't know how I can't consider this one of the best films of the year. And I don't know if I'm alone in this. I don't know. I haven't really. I, I, you're holding off, and I'm gonna let you let you go in a second. The only thing I can honestly, sincerely see someone objecting to this movie is the fact that it is essentially a two and a half hour riff on one essential question, one theme. And if you don't find it sufficiently compelling, yeah, you may not be able, you, you may not be up to enduring this much of a test for a question. Let me just, that you let me just stop you right there. That uh, assessment yeah. of the movie yeah. is horseshit. Um, okay i i agree i agree but i'm saying that is the one legit like not not even legitimate but that's the one like if if a person comes out of this movie and was not affected by it that's the only thing i can actually think like i that's that's, i'm looking for an explanation here other than shitty distribution because i honestly feel like i just witnessed a masterpiece and i kind of want someone to either you know to, tell, to tell you wrong. I, yeah, or to just tell me I'm not nuts. I don't know. What do you think, James? Nuts is next week. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you did yeah, it. Too. As I said, that assessment of the movie as just riffing on one one theme one is theme. is horseshit. I, I don't even know yeah. what what a question they would think is like. Okay, this is the question they're trying to figure out. Like, oh, I know. 
is it does God exist? No, that's no. not really. The characters occasionally face doubt, but that's not the only governing conflict in this. <laughs> in fact, it's a very minor one. In fact, uh, I would almost take. I would almost say that the movie takes the fact that God exists as a as sort of a, a given, well, and, and it asks like, okay, if assuming God exists. What what about this 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 and this and this and this and this and it oh, yeah, painstakingly it's, it's, asks uh, its very you know devout uh, protagonists these same questions and not just and not just in any like you know Aaron Sorkin's guide to to cinema type of way where it's just you know someone asking the question and them answering it you know it's actually putting them through these experiences that you alluded to, you know, uh, the, the torture of people. What's a, what's a righteous man to do when you could stop torture by denouncing your righteousness, you know? Mm-hmm. And then of course the fundamental, the probably the most fundamental theme, though certainly not the only one of the silence. Well, in any of these cases, you're never going to receive a, direct response or and even if you do you're sort of going to be questioning what where that response really comes from you know these are these are natural questions to have even for uh, the righteous man the religious man the 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 jesuit catholic trying to spread faith across japan where Mm -hmm. they won't have it and i mean and also too more than just from a, a christian perspective this you know silence attacks attacks as uh, the wrong word uh, tackles the the issue of religion i mean there, there are several great sequences throughout the movie where even these people who are you know murdering people are shown to really have their own religious perspective from it you know there's a there i mean it's conversational at some points but there's uh, even these moments where they're talking about, you know, the the tenets uh, of Buddhism, you know, and yeah, how yeah. that relates and how that compares to to Christianity and whether or not uh, a religion like Christianity will succeed in in a place like Japan. You know, what, are what these are these truths really universal enough to be so everywhere? One of the most heart wrenching scenes which comes very late in the film is uh, when uh, Andrew Garfield's character, uh, uh, what was his name? Father. Uh, uh, fuck. Uh, they actually don't say his name that much in the film. Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Thank you. Actually comes face to face with the uh, missionary who they came there to, you know, to look for in the first place, uh, Father Fiera, played by Liam Neeson. Who yeah. uh, by this point has essentially renounced his faith regularly and uh, has taken on a Japanese name and a Japanese well, and they, wife. They didn't want to believe that either. Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver right. didn't want to believe that he had done he, he that. They thought it was he, lies and propaganda. I just realized we did not actually go over the plot to this movie at all. Oh, but yeah. Ba- um, basically, uh, Andrew Garfield and, and uh, Adam Driver play uh, fa- uh, fathers uh, Rodriguez and Garpe. Yep. And uh, they uh, insist on going on a mission to Japan, uh, which at this period of time is incredibly hostile towards Christians. Uh, Actively, you know, torturing and executing torturing them. And executing them, trying to quell uh, the practicing of Christianity in Japan. Um, and uh, they go in search of the man who was considered the best among all of them, Father Fiera, played by Liam Neeson, uh, who uh, rumor... Uh, 
says has been uh, apostatized, which means to uh, step on an idol of Jesus and renounce your faith to the uh, to the Japanese elites, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they go to confirm this and also preach the gospel to many of the uh, you know poor and villagers uh, in uh, the poor villagers and and practicing people in Japan. Um, so uh, that, that's just the, the setup of the film without wanting to get too much into the detail and, and set up. But basically the, the conflict comes from Andrew Garfield's questions of what the right thing to do is, uh, whether it's better to, and, and like you said, there's, there's so many questions that the film tackles regarding, uh, faith and righteousness and, uh, none of them have easy answers. So I don't want to be too reductive with it, but uh, basically he's confronted with, uh, this notion of whether it's. It, uh, apostatizing is the right thing to do in order to prevent this uh, horrible suffering and to save these people's lives. Whether they're whether he's actually by not apostatizing condemning them to torture and death for no real good reason. Um, uh, one of the many fundamental questions he faces. So that's the general uh, idea of the movie, and. Uh, uh, Okay, this is a bit of a spoiler, though, given that uh, premise, so I don't know if we just want to give a little uh, warning. Yeah, we can do a spoiler warning. Okay, um, p- please go see this movie. Uh, for the love of love of God, pun intended, uh. go, go see this goddamn movie. I, uh, it is both one of my favorite films of the year, and also, uh, I, I think, I don't want to call it underrated. It's been getting good reviews, but just Jesus Christ, no one's talking about it. Well, I mean, and this is—I I will say—this is the, this is to the two questions of faith. What what OJ made in America is to the OJ trial. Probably, you know, it, it is a a painstaking dissection of every possible, probably an exaggeration, but the major questions of faith in every capacity so that's about the only comparison to oj made in america i could possibly think to make between that film and this but i hear here i agree yeah with you. i mean there's uh, other examples we could use OJ, but why not tie it in uh, oj was black <laughs> father fiero was not <laughs> oj uh probably uh, probably killed, killed uh, no 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 the japanese killed uh, several christians too many i'll say too many christians too, too many christians yeah OJ, hardly any Christians. Yeah, <laughs> I mean a, f- a few, <laughs> probably. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Sorry, I, that was <gasps> little Louis C.K. Uh, riff for I'm those sorry. of you who. Yeah, 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 I'm sorry to. Uh, I'm sorry to Louis C.K. and uh, God and uh, <laughs> human decency. I'm sorry. Nicole Brown Simpson. Nicole Brown Simpson. The the whole Brown family. I just wow, Whew. that was terrible. Um. Uh, but so yes so spoiler, spoiler warning given, um the the scene uh, uh father rodriguez finally comes face to face with fiera who is now uh going under a different he has now has a japanese name a japanese family and has renounced his faith i, I think i said this actually so i think i already preemptively spoiled it but that's fine that's <laughs> fine um and has renounced his faith and uh, it's this prolonged dialogue scene where, you know, Rodriguez slowly realizes that uh, Rod- uh, that uh, Fiera's apostatization, if that is actually a word, because I didn't really know the word apostatize before this film in the Me first either. place, <laughs> um, 
was genuine that he truly believes that uh not only is the um doctrine of christianity toxic and unable to flourish in japan um but that even the even the japanese that they had previously supposedly brought to the church um never really worshipped the same god as they did they never really uh they never really embraced existence beyond nature and never actually understood this notion of the divine that they had to explain jesus as the son of god by literally pointing to the sun and uh, the ball of fire that is fire and uh yes i'm sorry yes the ball of fire in the sky Uh, (laughs) it's actually nuclear fission you see that's going on up there fire oh it's nuclear fission yeah uh, you know you don't have any oxygen in space so you can um, okay so um (laughs) Uh, and point to the sun in the sky and use that as a visual representation of Jesus. And that's what they were worshiping the whole time. Um, and you, you hear Liam Neeson and having been through this journey to this point in the film, probably about two hours in with father Rodriguez and he's just breaking down, you know, it, it knowing and reflecting that ev- on the fact that everything that he had held on to and believed at that point amounted to nothing and that this man who was considered the most faithful of them all had completely renounced any sense of uh of faith or uh efficacy in reaching these people that he ever held um it is one of the most devastating scenes i've ever seen in a film yeah I- you know i'm i'm interested though to talk about if how how genuine Father Ferreira's apostatization actually was? Because it seemed like in, in even the things you brought question. up, that he really only sort of even like doubted, Christianly convinced himself that this was the right thing to do in terms of like maybe he's not really denouncing his faith. You know, he's saying that our mission is pointless. We never would have succeeded, and these people weren't really Christians in the way we yeah. wanted them to be. Uh, so he just sort of like he gave up on his mission. I'm not sure, especially you know, with some some hints throughout the the there, there's later a very parts particular of the movie. line at the end where he references our God. Yeah, um, and before that too, he they they are later put in charge of like determining whether artifacts that people have are Christian or not. And it's sort of like a it's a two party confirmation system where I look at an object and determine if it's Christian, then I hand it to Mike and he would determine if it's Christian. Uh-huh. And he hands him a, a a painting or a picture uh, and says not Christian. And Andrew Garfield looks at, pulls the a little picture behind, sees some Christian stuff, and then hesitates for maybe half a second before saying it's Christian. And then Mar- and then not Martin Scorsese, and then Liam Neeson kind of gives him a look, you know. Like, yep. Hmm. So I mean, mm-hmm. there's certain things to say. Like he hasn't really denounced his faith, but he's denounced sort of what his faith uh, imbued him to do. Uh, that's true. But also, then there, there's a the question on top of that, which is what? So many questions. There, there are so many questions and almost mm-hmm. no answers, and that's how I like my fucking movies. Um, <laughs> Just silence. But there's yes, exactly. There's you're met with nothing but silence. Um, this question of what faith really means and what, you know, can you, even if he did hold on to this notion of a, of a, a Christian God, 
is he still can he still be considered a man of faith if he does if he holds on to it covertly if he hides it and then uh you know on the uh um exterior constantly renounces his faith apostatizes every yeah, year yeah. every year they always come back and and make them apostatize um and uh one uh little you know bit of uh uh, you know, I mean, there, there are a bun- there are obviously a bunch of biblical and religious allusions in this film. <laughs> one of the most poignant, I think, is the one. Uh, th- there's the. Um, uh, this is a huge spoiler. Um, when uh, Andrew Garfield does eventually apostatize, uh, it's shot beautifully in slow motion. But there's also the sound. You, you hear the sound of a crow cawing, and um, the crow in the Bible is actually a sign of Judas's betrayal. It's mm-hmm. a it's a uh, it's a herald of, of Judas's betrayal. I, I um, understand that, but you also right before that hear what appears to be the voice of God. What appears to be the voice of God, but what is it? I mean, what is it really? It, is it Andrew Garfield's own conscience? Is it God? Is it Satan? That's I mean, that's not you no, know. I actually had that thought. I was like, it, no, Satan? it could. Well, it could be, and it's deliberate. Actually, if you watch Last Temptation, the way Scorsese represents Satan is actually, I mean, as as a voice like that, it's it's very similar. Actually, I, I almost expected just a. What do you want? <laughs> Black Black Philip. What dost thou want? Really, the only thing missing from Silence was Black Philip. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, me. This is making it for an interesting double feature. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder, you know, what really that was. Was it his subconscious? Was it, was it God? Was it the devil in disguise trying to convince him to renounce his faith? Um, well, this and this question, even even if you uh, even if you approach him as a Judas, um, what does that even mean? And, and I don't know how legit this is in necessarily Catholic circles, but I know there are readings of the you know the Judas uh, of Judas's betrayal as being essentially. A betrayal that was necessary and uh, you know in in harmony with god a betrayal that you know was not done maliciously but was done of necessity and that judas isn't a maligned figure in this reading but well, is ex- i think one of the only times they directly quote the bible is when they're talking about what jesus said to judas right before oh, in the last yeah. supper you know whatever you're going to do do it quickly i'm butchering the quote but exactly yeah yeah, yeah. um so you know, even if we do interpret him as a Jewish figure, what does that mean? I also love this how Scorsese kind of flips the religious illusions, where like towards the beginning, he's clearly drawing a parallel, even to the the way his hair is uh, is styled. Uh, he's drawing visual illusions to Jesus, and even Andrew Garfield is kind of thinking himself uh, of himself as a Christ figure. And there's even a very literal Judas uh, character. At play, uh, Kichihiro, right? Is that the uh, Kichijiro? Kichijiro. Kichijiro. Um, uh, one of my favorite characters in the in in any film I've seen this year. Yeah. Uh, who is constantly uh, b- betraying what he professes to believe in in safer times, and then constantly asking for forgiveness, mm-hmm. um, knowing that, uh, you know, he can, uh, you know, simply, you know, pers- he can he can save his skin at any time, only to be forgiven later, and he's constantly returning to Father Rodriguez asking for forgiveness, and at one point, which I actually found very powerful, Rodriguez just said, I, 
uh, well, what does he say? He just should, just utter contempt for this man. He oh, he says he's, it's not even. I can't even bring myself to hate him. He's yeah. He, well, and he also he says like, how could how could he talks talking to God? He's like, how could you have any love for a person like this? Exactly. <laughs> Nothing yes. of what you preach is in this man. Nothing. Uh, you know, he's just a wretch. Yes, and uh, and and of course that I think is kind of a uh, uh, an answer to a quote he. A monologue, an interior monologue quote he has earlier about, you know, the, uh, you know, it, it's not hard to, uh, to die and suffer for the, uh, you know, the, the, I'm butchering this as well for the, basically for the wealthy and the proper people, but for the wretches, right. the, uh, uh, for the, for the wretches and the lowly people, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's the real sacrifice. That's what's hard. And uh, so, yeah, he's framed as the Jesus figure, but then it, 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 you know, Scorsese definitely frustrates this notion of Andrew Garfield as a Christ figure towards the end. And that's actually one of the complexes that he's basically forced to come to terms with and discard. He is not a Christ figure in the story at all. He is, it, he should not put his it's basically amounted to sacrilege for him to to frame his own struggle in that way he has a very different question put ahead of him um and i i I don't know i i feel like scorsese it's such a complex story and i feel like scorsese is constantly aware of what questions are on the table what needs to be addressed and he does so with just the right amount of ambiguity of someone who you can tell are taking is taking these questions very seriously yeah, no, I mean, he almost, like, leaves no stone unturned, but that doesn't mean he answers all the questions. He's just addressing them. Oh, yeah, it, well, because it's not... And, you know, I I thought about this after the fact, but this is kind of a point I wanted to bring up in La La Land um, from, from last week uh, uh, regarding the question of... Last week. Oh, oh, my God, last... Well, the last time we recorded. Um, because, you know, we kind of considered it a failing of that film... Uh, at the time that uh, they kind of introduced this notion of, uh, you know, art, you know, what what really is revolutionary art and how can you be a revolutionary if you're constantly looking backward and how mm-hmm. La La Land itself is a film that looks backward. And, you know, I this is a conversation that's been going on with art for a long time and there's not really a solid answer to it. So this is why it, there's not even... you. you the point of view John Legend's character espouses is just that, a point of view. Um, and it's part of a dialectic of, uh, you know, what makes genuine uh, revolutionary art that's been going on for fucking decades, you know, for centuries. So, look, to me, great pieces of art don't necessarily give you concrete answers to questions, lofty e- Even questions, questions like that, that they address. It's a fair point. Even questions that they address. Um I feel very similarly about silence, although silence is more, far more, uh, it's a far more ambiguous and multifaceted film. So it's, I'm not trying to compare them beyond just that, that basic notion of, of leaving, uh, leaving questions unanswered as a means of artistic sophistication. I think that's to the film's credit. Um, yeah, I mean, and I, I really like what they did with Kichijiro's character um, yeah. in that they sort of, like, I could see the weaker film that's 
that was behind this character. Like in in less in less hands, it would have been he would have been like the soul of the movie who constantly betrays his faith, constantly betrays his faith, and, and then, then at the end, then at the end, has to valiantly refuse and martyrize himself. Uh, you know, refuse to apostatize and and say no, I am. Uh, religious now. I, I am Christian, and you I can't do anything. To to I have overcome. I have overcome this this urge I have to constantly betray my faith. Um, and you know that doesn't really happen. And if you could say, if you argue that it no. does, it doesn't happen in the way that you expect it to. No, I mean he asks for forgiveness in the end, but this is the same fundamentally the same person who has done this repeatedly. Well, and, and- he does. He carries around a religious amulet that kind of gets right. him in it. but he still actually actively apostatizes but you then know? Of course, right the question is also you know what is actual faith and devotion how do you define it is it doing the most good for the most number of people in which case apostatizing would be the the righteous thing to do is it adhering most stringently to the teachings of your bible and your faith and not compromising for any uh, because of any persecution even if it's going to get people innocent people mm-hmm. crucified by the seashore which by the way you want to talk about a memorably horrific scene um oh man the crucifixion by the seashore is uh, is up there for it, it, it's that's gonna that's burned into my brain now um as is the you know the 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 whole the the you know turning you know, so many i i there are a lot of horrific uh persecution scenes in this in this film and i mean i love how scorsese doesn't try to moralize any of this it's not like bad characters get killed and good characters get it it is and it's not even that the japanese are the the persecuting government is demonized uh to such they're actually demonized less than they should be i think less than they should be yeah um (laughs) yeah but uh, you do definitely get their perspective on this matter, and, and, and it is not a matter of right and wrong, at least not in a traditional way that we're used to defining it. It puts yeah. us in a, it puts you in a very uncomfortable position, uh, no matter what. And I mean, look, you clearly do not have to be a religious person to see value in this movie. It's it's of any, it, these are fundamentally human questions, whether or not it's it, it's particularly faith that you're uh disputing over it's it the the questions of what is righteous what is the right thing to do i you know this is something that anybody could identify this this is a fundamental struggle that anyone could identify themselves so i don't think that it matters uh a, a person's religious affiliation does not matter going into this it's a it's fundamentally a human question again told through the prism of religion which of course is very personal to scorsese as a lifelong and very passionate catholic um which is i i do think what makes it such a fundamentally awesome work of religious art which is i mean well yeah i mean it it flies in the face of everything of of all all the recent wave i think it's it's really it'd be really good to look in the context of the recent silence has in the recent wave of very pro-christian cinema you know god's not dead miracles from heaven things like that which are really films made to just 
pat themselves on the back and reaffirm their beliefs. You know, it's like, look at this story. I have to be right, and I have to be right in this I mean, exact way. Whereas, I mean, you know, Martin Scorsese is a Catholic. You know, he hasn't he hasn't apostatized. <laughs> how, is, um, how, is, how is God's not dead? Which is literally just about Christians in a modern society not like it, it basically coming under fire from non-religious people uh-huh. uh in a in, in a manner of civil disagreement and mind you in the film they're demonized to the point where they're not civil at all but whatever they're not killing people but how is how is its portrayal of the opposite side less sympathetic than scorsese's where the persecutors are actually murdering and beheading the torturing too. In, torturing the christians in that film somehow his is a more sympathetic view <laughs> of the uh, of, of the persecutors uh-huh it, i i <laughs> really a sad state uh when that's the case but, but uh but yeah there you go but here it's, we are uh, but here we are it's it's insane i don't know i there need like scorsese can't be he's 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 getting up there he cannot be the only one making religious movies this this thoughtful and this complex um there's gotta be there's gotta be a a, another at least one other filmmaker who's addressing faith in a sophisticated way through the cinema i actually know a lot of uh interpretations of the coen brothers films that uh uh, look, take them on through a religious point of view, and they're actually quite poignant. But they don't usually make actively religious movies that are or films that are directly about questions of faith. Um, Robert Daggers? Huh? Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> he, he's got a he's got a one film track record. He's got a, he's got a one film track record. That's I mean, <laughs> seriously though, The Witch is such a proficient film. such a proficient film for a first time director. I cannot believe that he had never made anything before. I know. That's uh, pretty pretty fucking nuts, and uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be really interesting. I mean, I was definitely getting some witch vibes when I was hearing the voice of maybe probably God in this, in silence. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my god, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and that, that that's like the fundamental. I think any religious practitioner, uh, any any devotee of of uh, of any faith, uh, I think that the one of the most uh, the most difficult things to constantly struggle with is this notion of the silence of god or whatever god you worship this notion of like there is and i think that's what leads me to think that the voice when he apostatizes is possibly just coming from himself because to me if that if that is god that is far too easy Right. That is, that yeah, it's sort of, and that's too easy. Sort of why I didn't like the didn't like that interpretation I had in my mind. But at the same time, it's like that. I mean, that sounds really good. You know, like if it I'm, does, it if does. I'm convincing but, myself that that's God as Andrew Garfield, that sounds good. Like a guy saying, you know, he's saying, "Why have you been silent this whole time?" And and God or Jesus or whomever is like, "I haven't been silent. I've been suffering alongside you." You know, I mean that that sounds good to me, man. I'm eating that up, but I do too. But you know, and it's it's you know, it, it depends even on how you define you know how you define God. What what is God and his relationship with man? Is it a detached? Is it, it, it is he detached from man? Is he fundamental and the intrinsic to man? It's uh, you know, it, it, there's a lot of metaphysical shit to go with it, but mm-hmm. like also just this notion of of there being no one to verify that what you're doing is righteous or not 
Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know that I have much more to say about it. I mean, I, I probably will wake there. up. I'm just, afraid, I'm just afraid of leaving something out. Because oh, yeah. No, I'm definitely going to wake up and be like, oh, damn, I should have talked about that. But I, I legitimately think this is a masterpiece. And I, I take it I, – I, I'm really pushing it because I have not heard – like, Moonlight is a masterpiece. It's, it's, but everyone's touting it as a masterpiece. So it's it's fine. Um, but this one, I'm like, no, people need to fucking see it. Like, this it, one's making me ask the question, uh, like, will it be okay to do a forgotten favorite on a movie that we reviewed uh, <laughs> when it I came mean, out? <laughs> let's just wait six months yeah. and see if, because I'm curious, in six months, is like, is this film just taking a bit longer to catch on? Because, like, I, I mean, this isn't going to be, like, a blockbuster or anything, no matter what, but, like, are we going to be hearing more about it once more people get a chance to see it, uh, or is this just going to fizzle out? Because the, I mean, the advertising for this has been dog shit. Um, <laughs> but then again, how do you advertise a film like Silence? It's yeah, very difficult. So I don't know. Um, but I, I think it's, uh, I think it's one for the ages. Um, maybe hyperbole. I might come down on it. I think I feel like I've been hyperbolic with like the last three films that we've reviewed. But, uh, I mean, Jesus Christ, man, we're getting some really, really fucking great film territory Yeah, here. I'm going to have to really, like, slap my face with a, a big paddle that says recency bias on it uh, before exactly. I'm making my top, my exactly. top ten. Yes, because I'm kind of afraid my, my recount of this year is going to be very bottom-heavy, and that's not fair at all, because this is actually a year that was pretty great throughout, uh, despite the fact that I still say it was probably the worst year I've ever seen for summer blockbusters. Um yeah. I I take back anything I said this year. If I ever said or implied that uh, it is not a good year for cinema, I I'm honestly actually uh, at kind of a loss at how many films I loved that I saw this year. So, yeah. um, and uh, yes, add silence to that list. Um, uh, we're just gonna wrap up. I'm probably not gonna talk about what we're gonna do next week because that'll take too much time. Uh, but we're gonna do something. It's gonna be it's gonna be a great show. You just have to take my word for it this time, though. You have no idea what we're gonna do, but it's gonna be a great show next uh, week. Ah, uh, we're we're wait, it's over. Oh, nuts. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, thank you for listening to our terrible puns. <laughs>